Welcome to Houseplant Homebody. I'm your host, Holly, and I'm here to tell you all about my favorite thing, plants. You ready? Thanks for tuning into the 36th episode on June 22nd, 2021. Let's talk about some of the most common houseplant questions I get pretty consistently. Not only can you listen to the podcast, you can find more on houseplant-homebody.com. You can follow me on Instagram, Facebook, Pinterest at Houseplant Homebody LLC. And go check out the blog posts that are associated with all these podcasts as well. And don't forget to rate and review this podcast and make sure you're commenting, liking, sharing, and subscribing to this podcast, my blog, and social media posts. You can also help support your favorite podcasts and blog by joining me on Patreon for exclusive podcasts, early access to podcasts, and exclusive content. And if you just can't get enough, I send out a bi-monthly newsletter on the first of every other month, also with exclusive content and some updates on what's been happening in the previous months. All right, let's dive in. I want to first start this podcast by saying happy birthday to my mom. Her birthday is actually tomorrow, the 23rd. So happy birthday, mom. Love you. The funny thing is one of my good friends, Ty's birthday is also the same day. So happy birthday, Ty. Love you both. So let's get into the podcast a bit. So when I first want to do the common houseplant questions, I think people are confused by the common houseplant questions because I'm the one who gets them. So (laughs) not a lot of people sent in questions, but I do have pretty consistent information that people come to me for. So I kind of broke it down based on what I see most commonly and the most common questions I got while working at the garden center. I will tackle water, lighting, soil, fertilizer, trimming, a little bit propagation, and kind of the overarching what's wrong with my houseplant question that I always got or I still get, which is totally fine, but there are so many answers to that question that have potential and it's hard to diagnose something just over social media or something. So I'm going to try to break it down to hopefully help you understand what you could do as well. So let's get just right into the first question that I thought of. How do I know how much water I need to give my houseplants? This is something that's really hard to articulate. And it's it's really based on environment, which is also hard to describe. But, you know, if you have a plant in a really bright, sunny spot or you have a plant not in a window at all that's low light, you're going to need different watering situations for each one. It also really depends on the plant. So if you have, for example, fishtail palm, They like to hold a little bit more moisture than, for example, a snake plant. This question directly in my mind was meaning, how do I know when to stop watering it? Is it enough? Kind of thing. Because that's always the question I get, even when I'm talking to my sister about houseplants and how I was trying to explain it and how we try to explain it to customers when I worked at the garden center. So in my mind, there are two ways for houseplants. If you have a draining pot and a non-draining pot, there are two different ways to do it. So if you're using a draining pot with like there's a drainage hole in the bottom, you have a saucer below your pot, you want to allow the water to drain out of the bottom of the pot or at least start to. We used to do that in the garden center. We would water until we started seeing the water drain out. But if we knew the plant was like root bound or something, we would bottom water the perennials, for example. So allowing the water to run out of the bottom means that the water got all the way down to the bottom of the soil. There's a caveat though. You want to make sure you're applying the water slowly so it can drain evenly throughout your plant like it's supposed to. 
Some people just dump half the watering can on the top of the pot and it's like, oh, it's draining within like two seconds. Well, no, it's trying to escape as fast as it can because there's so much pressure from all the water at the top of the pot that it's literally finding every escape route it can out of the pot, which more than likely will not be where your plant is. It will be the outer edge of your soil line along the pot. So it will go down into your saucer through the edge of your pot if you do that, and it will not even touch your plant. So there are a couple ways to prevent that. Obviously watering slowly, but if for some reason you have like a pitch off of the middle of your plant, that's not going to help you at all. Typically what I like to do is I like to build up a little donut shape around the outside of the pot. So I push up the soil along the edge of the pot and I kind of make a little indent around where the root system is on the plant. That way I know when I water, that water is going to hit that donut shape, which means it's directly going to the root system of the house plant. And that's how you're actually supposed to water trees when you install them outside too. You're supposed to build kind of like a dam for the water. So the water just hits the root system and it doesn't run off the root ball and water your lawn. So hopefully that makes sense. But allow the water to drain out of your pot while you're watering it properly and it's hitting that middle soil part. If you're really not sure if it's getting where it needs to, Using a moisture meter reader could also help you understand where in the pot it's still dry. You know, you could water the plant, let it sit for like five minutes, use your moisture meter reader and see where it is. If it's still not in the bottom and the root system is extensive enough, the water needs to hit all of the roots for the plant to soak up as much moisture as it needs. So that was a lot of explaining, but basically letting the water run out of the bottom of the pot as long as you're watering it properly. Cool, cool. The other one, using a non-draining pot. So this is much more difficult to gauge on how you know when to stop watering your plants, but you don't want to be drowning your houseplants. So if you directly planted a houseplant into a non-draining pot, then I would always water a little bit less than you anticipate because you can recover from underwatering some plants, most houseplants, but you can't recover from overwatering a lot of houseplants. So Again, just making sure that you're watering the center. As long as you're getting a good amount of water in that area, but not drowning the thing, you should be good. My best advice, honestly, is to keep your plant in the original nursery pot, or if you wanted to plant it in a different one, just something that has drainage, and then use your non-draining pot as a cash pot, so it's like a cover pot. That way, you could take out the moisture that has fallen through that nursery pot into the bottom of the cash pot and that way you don't have your plant sitting in water like you would just planting it in the non-draining pot if that makes sense. If you use a cash pot I wouldn't allow your plant that's in the nursery pot to sit in any water that's at the bottom of that cash pot for more than 30 minutes. The only time that's acceptable is with the maidenhair fern (laughs) because they like to sit in water. That's the only plant that likes it that I have known. So that's kind of my explanation on how much to water. So hopefully that explains everything, but it really does depend on your environment too. So the sunlight, you have to consider what season it is because in the peak season, growing season, you're going to be watering a lot more than the off season, the winter, and what pot you're using. Also, soil has something to do with it, but we'll talk about that later. Okay, let's get into the next question. Okay, the next one is, can you explain houseplant lighting? I talk about this in every single podcast. I'm just going to break it down a little bit easier. So I typically use four 
different terms. There's bright direct light, bright indirect light, there's medium light, and low light. So I would describe bright direct light as a south or southwest facing window. In the peak growing season in the summer, the sunlight is going to be directly through a south window unless you have obstructions like a tree or a building or something. So that is going to be the brightest, hottest light in your whole house. That's where you want any of your, like your gardenia, your jasmine, hibiscus, duranta, all of those like to be in that bright direct sunlight. Now, bright indirect light is the next one. And this is probably one of the more common light situations that a lot of houseplants like. This is typically an east or a west window or like slightly moved away from a south window where it's not getting that direct sunlight, but it's still getting still really bright light from the south window. This includes, but not limited to, Monstera, Hoya, Bird of Paradise, Peperomia, Elephant Ear, String of Hearts. All of those will do really well in that area. And east and west window is probably best. West window, if you have no obstructions, could be a little bit more of a bright window than an east window. But either way, you're still going to get bright sunlight for a good chunk of the day. It just won't be direct like on the south side of your house. So medium light is the next one. And I would consider that a north window. So I know, I actually know someone on Instagram. I believe their Instagram handle is two plant mamas, but it's two period plant period mamas. And it's two different people and they live in two different um, apartments. But one of the girls lived in a apartment that had only north-facing windows and she had many houseplants in that window and they were all doing really well. So don't underestimate north windows. They still have that medium light, which a lot of houseplants can thrive in. I would also consider medium light to be if you're moving your houseplants just away from an east or west window too, because those windows, you know, in the east, the sun rises, it's still going to have the bright and like warmness in that window. But if you move it away, it's just not going to have the bright indirect light. It'll be a little bit more medium. Same with the west window too. So medium light, usually north window. Low light is when you're not really near a window or you move it kind of far away from any window. So like currently, there's a south window up in this office I'm in and it gets direct sunlight for part of it, but there is a building and there is a tree that gets in the way for a good chunk of the day. And it's not a huge window, so it doesn't bring a ton of sunlight into the room. I have a peace lily and a snake plant along a an opposite wall, so it doesn't get any light from the window, and they're doing very well. There's lots of plants out there that can handle low light, but there's also lots of plants out there that would rather prefer to be bright indirect light or medium light. So really depends on any obstructions you have outside, inside. If you have curtains or shears up instead, that could deflect the light. If there's a building nearby like me or even a tree or anything like that, it really all depends. And obviously in the summer months, the sun is going to be a lot warmer than the winter months. Usually in the growing season, like a bright direct light south window, it, it might be considered more of a bright indirect light since it's just not as warm, not as close. So all things to think about, but that's how I would describe those kind of three categories of lighting. Okay, let's move on to the next one. So the next question is, what soil do I use? And 
I don't really address this in any of the podcast episodes because I feel like this is so subjective and it really depends on your preference, kind of where you live, what resources you have, and I don't believe there's one answer for anything. So I'll tell you what options you have and then I'll kind of tell you what I do, but basically people have had success with many different mediums of soil. I don't I just don't think there's one right way of doing this. Some people just simply use indoor potting mixes or even just like potting mixes, like regular garden center potting mixes, which you can totally do and that's like a-okay for some plants. And then some like to mix their own soil. So I've seen a lot of houseplant accounts mixing like three or four different mediums to get the kind of potting mix that they want. There are specialty potting mixes out there, so I'm sure you've seen them. There are specific indoor potting mixes. I know Espoma carries them, and I know Miracle Grow has some too. And that's great because that's already figured out for you for the most part. There are cactus or succulent specific soils, which are already also figured out for you. Their point basically is just to allow more drainage and allow the soil to dry out faster because cactus and succulents need that. Using a regular potting mix for a cactus and succulent would be a problem. You really shouldn't be doing that. So they made that solution for it for us. And then there's also African violet mixes, soil mixes. So typically this is just African violets are apparently to some people <laughs> known to be a little more finicky and people really wanted a solution for that overall. So they created the mixes. So there really was no question to it. And those soils really just allow for more aeration while still retaining the moisture that the African violets need. And then there's also other ones out there. There's bonsai mixes and whatnot. But the only other one that I actively know of or have looked at or have tried is orchid mixes, which usually contain larger chunks of bark for drainage and aeration. So those are kind of the three main ones that are specialty ones that have been used out there. But the other ingredients that people have used in the soil contained are perlite and vermiculite pumice, which are all basically mediums to help aerate the soil and help with drainage. There's compost, which adds an extra nutrient, and there's peat, which adds an extra nutrient. Peat is not a sustainable thing, and people have been talking about trying to get away from peat in general. So I just want to throw that out there because it is still being used in the industries, but a lot of people, at least in the houseplant community that I've seen, are starting to steer away from it and being a little more environmental friendly. There is also sphagnum moss, which sphagnum peat moss is... I believe, similar to the peat situation. Either way, it is used sometimes. Shredded bark, sand, cocoa core, which a lot of people are re- replacing some of the peat-based things with the cocoa core. Cocoa core. Coconut core, sorry. Um, there's also charcoal and earthworm castings. Charcoal, I believe, helps filter out any toxins or anything in the water. And I've really only seen it in a couple orchid mixes that I have seen, but I I know it's out there that people have used it before. Earthworm castings is also another nutrient similar to compost would be. So those are all different things that people use in houseplant mixes that I have seen. For me personally, I actually use a just a potting mix. It's called, the brand's called Fox Farm. I really like their products. They're all organic and I'm not usually an organic person take it or leave it, but I really like the Fox Farm brand, honestly, and they have been really reliable for years. They've been around forever. 
Um, again, use what you want to. I've used uh, the brands like Black Gold or Miracle Grow too. It doesn't matter, but I just personally like the Fox Farm potting mix. They usually have two different kinds. It's either Happy Frog, which is in a brown bag. And there's one called Ocean Forest, which is in like a mint green bag. And they're actually, I really like their packaging too. I know that sounds so stupid, but they're just super cool. Like you should just got, you guys got to just go look them up. I think I tagged the potting mix to Amazon on the blog post, but if you just type in Fox Farm, you will find them. They're actually really cool. They have fertilizers and they have like organic insecticides and stuff too. So anyway, I also use Espoma, which Espoma is an organic brand as well, but I use Espoma's Perlite because it's usually more readily available where I was shopping at least. So those are kind of the two that I mix together. I probably use about one-fourth perlite to three-fourths of the potting mix because the potting mix does have, I believe it's perlite. I don't, I'm not 100% sure if it's perlite or vermiculite or something, but it's, it's something to help with aeration. And online, it's actually recommended for houseplant use on their website. So that's what I use. Again, what soil do you use? It's really up to you. I think as long as you're adding some kind of drainage or aeration medium, whether it's perlite or vermiculite or even shredded bark, some people use that as well, or the coca core or something to add that extra aeration. Some people even use sand. I think that's best because most houseplants, most houseplants take that with a grain of salt, need to drain fast enough and they need to stay in mostly like dry soil or they need to be able to dry out faster. Most houseplants don't like to have wet feet, if that makes sense. So that is what I would overall recommend. Let's move on to just another quick question, and then we're just going to jump into another one while we're at it. <laughs> okay, the quick question was, how long after water propagating should you wait to transfer the cutting to soil? So you should definitely wait till you see that main, I should say more than one, main tap roots once they're formed. But if you can wait until you see the secondary roots, like the little tiny roots growing off of those tap roots, that would be best. So I know I have a few house plants that have the tap roots, but I don't see any of the secondary roots yet. So I'm waiting until I see those to actually put them in soil and try to grow them, finish them up in soil. So that's what I would do. I know I get that question once in a while because I don't think I ever officially explain it. I just say wait a few weeks, but that's probably what I would measure it by more than time. I would measure it much more by the root system formation than I would by saying, okay, it's been three weeks. Now I can move it to soil. Don't do that. <laughs> okay. So the next question, I'm just going to jump into it. When do I trim my houseplants? So got to thank Peter for this one. He helped me out with this question. I was trying to think of other things to do and I had like the water, the sunlight, fertilizer, all that stuff. And I'm like, I just, I know there's a couple more questions I'm missing. And he came up with this one, which is great because I have gotten this too. So it depends on a few things of really what you're doing with the plant. So if you want to take a stem cutting just to propagate it, you can take the stem cutting whenever you want, but to get the best growth with the one, the actual stem cutting that you're propagating, and two, the actual regrowth of the plant, it's probably best to do it in spring or summer during the peak growing season. So that's one thing to consider. If you have yellowing or browning leaves, I've had people ask me when they can trim them off or if they should or if it's normal. Um, 
the normalcy depends on the plant. Like if you have a pothos and it's slightly underwatered or it's just irritated, sometimes it will drop the yellow leaves, but eventually it will bounce back, hopefully. But there are some plants that, for example, like a banana plant, over time, there's going to be a leaf that turns brown. It's just going to keep turning brown. You're not going to get it back and eventually you have to cut it off. And that kind of stuff, you don't really have to restrict your time limit. You can do it year round. Some people have suggested waiting until you can actually pull the leaf off if that's possible. Like on the banana, it's like near impossible. But on a pothos, you, you can pull it off yourself. And that would help minimize exposure to disease because there wouldn't be an open wound on your plant. But I don't necessarily follow that rule. So I don't think it's something that's going to make or break your plant, but it's just something to consider if you wanted to keep it in mind in the future. And then the next part is if you want to be shaping your plant in some way. So for example, if you have a philodendron that has one branch that's like four feet long and the rest of them are only like a foot long, you want to trim that guy up to make the plant on top fuller or focus on those other branches, for example. The best time to be doing that, honestly, is spring or the peak season because it will encourage that fuller growth during that peak season. Therefore, you'll get the most out of it. But you can honestly do it whenever. It's just like stem cutting. You can do it whenever, but the best, fastest, most optimized growth is always in the spring and summer during those peak growing seasons. Personally, I trim all year long, no matter really what it is. I think the only thing I don't really touch is there's a long period of time that I won't obviously trim back my orchid because I was trying to get to rebloom. Um, Besides that, I will trim back if I need to on things. And usually, to me, the off-season is starting around October and ending around February, beginning of March because that's when I notice some new growth really starting to pop up and I'm needing to water a lot more. And in that February time area, end of March or beginning of March, I like to trim up my plants and shape them a bit to encourage that fuller growth. And I'll take those trimmings and make propagation like stem cutting propagations out of them. So that's kind of when to trim your house plants. Okay, let's move on to another one. Okay, the next one is how much fertilizer do I use on my houseplants? First things first, check the fertilizer instructions on your package. If you're using a houseplant specific fertilizer, you you may be able to use the recommended amount or slightly less because it is created for houseplants specifically. If you're using an all-purpose fertilizer, that can be used for perennials, shrubs, trees, annuals, things that might need a higher concentrate than a houseplant would. So if you're using an all-purpose fertilizer, I would use the recommended but at about half the strength because I would much rather under-fertilize than over-fertilize any of my houseplants. I say this and I swear to God every podcast, (laughs) but I currently use the Espoma indoor liquid plant food and I fertilize every two weeks and that really starts at the end of February, like I said, through about October. And I probably only fertilize one more time, I think, in like December. And I use that liquid plant food. It's a concentrate. I put it in my watering can, but I use it at about three-fourths, maybe half the strength recommended because, again, I'd rather under-fertilize than over. It, but, again, fertilizing is completely up to you. There are so many products out there. You don't need to be going using the Espoma Indoor liquid plant food that I use. I just really like it and I like that I'm able to 
kind of control it a bit more. So there's many things out there. I think the one thing I haven't really used is the Fox Farm fertilizer. So maybe that's a product that I might actually try. Um, but I do really like Espoma as well. So I know there's a lot out there. I know Miracle Grow, there's Schultz out there too that have a lot of different fertilizers. All really reliable companies. There's nothing wrong with any of those. So use what you're comfortable with. Use what you know. If you want to try something else, that's what I use. Okay, let's go on to the last of my questions, which is kind of, I think, the bigger question that will hopefully help you guys in solving your own problems with houseplants. So that question is, can you tell me what's wrong with my houseplant? I get that question many times obviously over social media because that's where I'm talking to most of you. But when I worked at the garden center, I got it all the time too. If I physically don't work with the plant or I'm not taking care of it myself, it's hard to tell what is wrong with it just by looking at it. I always ask a million questions, but I'm literally trying to figure it out. There are ways that you can diagnose this yourself by just asking the right questions. And that's literally all I'm doing if I'm talking to someone about a houseplant problem they might have. I'm going to go over specific things to pay attention to and then tasks to think about changing in your plant routine. There's a few things to pay attention to and I could go into more detail about this too, but I'm going to keep it somewhat brief. So you want to pay attention to the leaf texture change, the leaf color change, and the stem structure change. For example, you might have an issue that ends up being a combo of all of these that could be a pest issue and you want to note those different changes. You could just have a leaf color change and a stem structure change. It's literally because you're underwatering it. There are so many different options for very similar looks to what is happening. So leaf texture, I mean, is for some reason the leaf getting bumpy. Is it getting crunchy, like not only on the tips, but towards the center of the plant? Are they getting wrinkled? For example, snake plant, when they're severely underwatered, the leaves get really wrinkly. Um, or is it flimsy, like a syngonium? If it's not watered to the amount it likes, it kind of becomes a little limp and flimsy. Snake plant, do the same thing, honestly. If there are leaf color changes, more than likely you're going to see a brown, a white, or a yellow-ish change. Those are probably going to be the colors that you're going to see. Sometimes you might see like a red. That could be or better, an orange that could be too much sunlight for some houseplants. For example, um, Hoya or string of hearts, when they're in too much sunlight, they become stressed and they kind of turn like a red or an orange. And then stem structure change is kind of very similar to the other two. It kind of is combined with it. So if you're noticing that the, the stems are really limp or they're just not as perky as they usually are, the only plant I can really think of right now is the syngonium. Um, and I've seen my rubber plant look a little sad sometimes. Mostly underwatering is the cause of that, but that's another thing to think about. So tasks that you can try changing your plant routine. I have really two or three main ones that I deal with, but I'm going to list them all for you. So the most common one that can be changed is watering, and that's usually the most common issue. If you feel like you are, you're like, I am watering every three days consistently. I don't know what's going on. It's turning yellow. I don't know what's happening. Well, try backing off watering. Try not watering for like a week and a half. See what happens or vice versa. So if you're watering, you're like, I was told I should never be watering this. I'm watering this plant like once every two months. Well, maybe try watering it, you know, once every month. See what happens. 
So just trying to mentally think about all these different things can really change your thought process when it comes to dealing with the plant issues you have. So watering is probably number one. Sunlight is the next one. So if you're not getting as many leaves as you want or it's not growing as fast as you want and you have it in a north window, for example, that medium light, try putting it in a west window where it's going to get a lot more light and see how much it progresses or if it makes a difference. Granted, you're going to have to allow a good chunk of time in between. That way you can see if it is making a difference, but try that. The next thing is repotting. I ran into this recently where I have my Duranta plant, but it's been through the thick of it. And I know that it's it's had aphids, it's had spider mites twice, but I remembered I've kept it in the same pot for three years and it was not retaining moisture very well. And I finally repotted it and it's already doing a little bit better. So it was just stressed out and it was causing other problems. So repotting something if it's root bound can help it. Also, if you're keeping a plant in a pot for that long, the nutrients that were originally in the soil are gonna be lost. So any of the compost, the earthworm castings are gonna be used up in the plant and you really need to replace that soil anyway. So that's another reason to repot, but repotting is another thing you can think about. The next one is probably the second most common issue and that's treating for pests. So I have a whole episode on this. It was episode 33. So I'm not gonna go into a ton of detail, But for example, I noticed even after I watered my Duranta, the leaves were still limp and they were changing color a little bit. And I didn't understand that because I really paid attention to it and I watered it and I'm like, what is happening? And then I look closer, it had spider mites. You know, it's just the different factors of what it could possibly be, but it's just something to think about. Like, okay, I changed the watering, the sunlight, nothing's working. Okay, could it be pests? The next one is humidity. Here in Wisconsin, it gets really dry in winter. And it gets really hot and humid in summer. And in the winter, I noticed by the probably middle to end of the winter, some of my houseplants get spider mites because of the lack of humidity, literally because of that reason. Increasing the humidity can overall help the health of your plant, depending on the plant, obviously. There are some plants like cacti, for example, that do not need added humidity, but there are plants like Ephicus lyrata that could seriously benefit from it. So, If it's something that's specific to the plant that it says it will help, why not try it? The next one is soil. So if you're the kind of person that only uses potting mix and your leaves are turning yellow and your soil's moist, you don't know what's going on, you could have a drainage issue. So try, depending on what part of the season it is, obviously. I mean, you can repot at any point. For the most part, I always do, but it's best to do it in spring or summer during the active growing season but you can try repotting it, adding a perlite or something with extra drainage in there to try to help with any issues you might be having. The next one is temperature. So this is strictly based on where you live. So here in Wisconsin, you can have, you know, 100 degree days and in winter we've had negative 20. So in winter, when you have a house plant that is in the line of a cold drafty window or a door that opens, that could cause a problem. So if you're noticing some issues in the winter because of that reason, well, then move your plant into a safer place. The next one is fertilizer. I would say there are people that have over-fertilized and lack of fertilizer could be an issue too. I'm not going to talk about that too much because that's, I believe it's super subjective. I know people that have houseplants that have never fertilized and they're doing fine. And I fertilize probably not as much as I would like to, but I try to do it every two weeks, if not three weeks. And I think my plants are doing well because of it. So 
either increasing it or decreasing based on the recommended amount. I would think about doing that or adding a fertilizer if you don't use one. And the next one is pruning. I don't know if you can really solve a lot of issues by this, but you know, like we talked about earlier, if you have a very lank, lanky stem and you want to just get rid of it, that's something you can do to get rid of it and kind of try to produce a second set of stems up there in the top crown of the plant and make it a little fuller. Or, for example, if you grew out like a pothos for a very long time and it was a very long stem and part of it, for some reason, the leaves died or something, then you could trim the plant back and try to hopefully get a better, healthier stem out of it. So that's kind of my list of tasks to try and change your plant routine. Watering, sunlight, repotting, treating with pests, humidity, soil, temperature, fertilizer, and pruning. So usually the watering, sunlight, repotting, and treating with pests are the most common issues that and some of the easiest things in your routine to change. For me personally, watering and treating for pests are my two most common issues that I always check in my routine. I usually water pretty good and I think I've got a good handle on how much my plants need to be watered and how often I do it. So my usually first gut check is I'm checking the leaves, I'm checking the stem, I'm checking everything for any sign of pests. So that is how you can kind of figure out what is wrong with your own plant. Okay, now let's get into the Instagram Q&A part. I do have two questions for us and I do ask followers multiple times on mostly Instagram and Facebook stories. If anyone has any questions directly related to the next podcast, that way I can answer anything that anyone might have and I do answer all of them right now because I'm not getting a super amount right now. So that's great. That way I can answer everyone's questions. So please submit them. If you know the podcast that's coming up and you don't see the question box in my story anywhere, feel free to just message me and say, hey, I know you're doing this podcast. Can you answer this question in the podcast? And I definitely will keep it. I screenshot all of them and then I keep them in my screenshots until I do the podcast. So feel free to message me and definitely submit the question when it's up there on stories. So I got asked two questions. One was about soil, one was about roots. So the first one is Someone wanted to know different types of soil, and then they say loamy soil specifically. I don't understand what makes a soil loamy. I took a soil science class in college, and it was very interesting, and I did some deep diving again, and it was all coming back to me. (laughs) I thought I forgot everything, but I just had to get, get a little reminder. Loamy soil is, how do I explain this the best way possible? There are different particles that make up soil that's silt, sand, and clay. The texture of soil forms based on the composition of those three particles. A loamy soil is specifically an optimal balance of those particles. So loamy just describes a mix. If you look at kind of a chart of the different soil types that are out there, you might have a clay loam, you might have a silt loam, you might have a sand loam, but it just means that there is something mixed with the silt, something mixed with the sand. And a loamy soil is more of the description of the type of soil, not necessarily what it is, if that makes sense. What it is usually is a even part silt sand and then a smaller part clay. So that's what loamy soil is. (laughs) Houseplants do not need loamy soil that much. They prefer to be in a more quicker draining soil than most plants. So a loamy soil is really good for outdoor plants and perennials and shrubs and trees, but 
Houseplants in general like to have a little bit more drainage than your normal loamy soil. Hopefully that answers your question, but I'm glad I got into that because it brought back so many good memories. (laughs) I can literally just see myself walking through one of the parks around college and we were taking samples of soil. forgot what park it was. We were taking samples of soil. Oh, actually, it was on campus too. We're just taking samples of soil and we had to mix it with water based on the pH level. We determined a bunch of things. You don't need to know that. But anyway, brought back lots of good memories. Um, That was one of the only like landscape classes in college that I actually took. I had another geology class and I had a forest ecology class, which was really fun. But okay, tangent done. All right. <laughs> the second Instagram Q&A question is, can you trim roots of a plant so you don't have to get a bigger pot? If so, how? I'm going to say yes to this. You can, but I would definitely be nice to your plant and do it very lightly. So I would not hack into any of those tap roots, those main roots. I wouldn't cut those because that's the main source of nutrients that it takes up to the plant right there. I would only trim back the smaller roots that are attached to the tap root. And I really wouldn't cut any more than I'd say a fourth to maybe a third of those smaller roots off. So you're still going to get a decent amount of the root system off, but you won't be hacking it in half necessarily. Now, I say that, but there are houseplants that you can divide and you're literally chopping the plant in half. For example, a peace lily you can do that with. Or even in your own yard, peonies, hostas, iris. Iris is a little different because it's a bulb, but you get what I'm saying. Like you're just chopping the whole thing in half. So there are plants that handle a lot better than others, but if you can try to not cut the taproot and just be trimming the smaller roots, you'll be okay. Because if you think about it, if you're repotting a plant and it's like stuck to the pot or something, you're ripping out the small roots anyway. It's not that it's harmful. It's just what you have to do to get the plant out. So trimming those back a little bit is not going to be the end of the world. Just making sure it's taken care of well after you're repotting it is a no-brainer, but I feel like I have to say it. (laughs) It's like necessary giving it the water it needs to recover. You might see you know, some leaves might look a little funny depending on the plant. Like pothos tend to be super dramatic, I've noticed. I've Every time I repot it for like a month, it hates me, but then it pops back up. So, <laughs> you know, some plants like that, you might see a slight difference in after you trim the roots, but you can do it. And that's all I got, guys. Thanks for listening to episode 36 of Houseplant Homebody, all about common houseplant questions. Don't forget to check out the blog post that corresponds with this podcast. If you go to houseplant-homebody.com and go to the blog tab, you'll find it there. Also, there are links to Instagram, Facebook, and Pinterest at Houseplant Homebody LLC on my website. And don't forget to rate and review this podcast and make sure you're doing all of the commenting, liking, sharing, and subscribing to the podcast my blog and social media posts. I love to hear from all of you and what you've learned through your own experience or through this podcast. And you can also help support your favorite podcast and blog by joining me on Patreon for early access to podcasts, exclusive content, and exclusive podcasts. So your support means everything to me and I am very excited to keep bringing you plant bios and information. And don't forget to check back every other Tuesday for more podcasts and corresponding blog posts. From one houseplant homebody to another, see you next time. Hello, hello. How's everyone doing? Good, great, awesome. I always stop on here to say something. 
I don't have a ton to talk about. Well, I probably can talk to you about what happened the other day. I'm going to put it on my stories anyways. Today, I was going through my houseplants to take pictures for this pot, this blog, and I came across four plants with spider mites. Four. Now, my count is up to 200, so I know that doesn't sound like a lot, but it was like all at once. So I kind of noticed my Diffenbachia wasn't doing really well. Like when a leaf unfurled, the whole edge was wrinkled. And then I noticed that the leaves just don't look as vibrant. They look a little limp. And then sure enough, I turned the leaf over and there are spider mites down the center. So I'm like, great. Okay, I'll treat him. And then I went to go pull pictures of um, a Calathea that had browning edges because I was originally thinking maybe I was going to put something like that in the blog just to show what possibility was. I, I didn't end up doing that. But I have a white fusion Calathea that has brown edges in my little mini greenhouse. And it was like obnoxiously brown edges. So I'm like, you know what? I feel like I'm watering it a good amount. It has high humidity. Like maybe I should just check the leaves because I saw someone talk about how like, I think it was the two, um, the two plant mamas Instagram. They were talking about how white fusion Calathea always gets spider mites. I was like, well, crap. I was like, okay, well, mine hasn't hit it yet, but it sure enough, it did. It had it too. I'm like, dang it. And then I was like, oh no. I have another Calathea right next to it in that greenhouse. I'm like, oh God, no, please no. Sure enough, that one did too. I'm like, oh my gosh. I thought another one had one. Now I can't remember what the fourth plant was that had it. Oh, it's going to bother me. Anyway, so I listed three plants, but I was so sad that all of them had issues. Ugh, but that's okay. I'll treat them. Hopefully they'll be fine. I know the Calathea will be a little bit harder. Um, especially the white fusion. It's a really like the foliage is really thick. Diffenbachia, I'm not too worried about. I can easily clean that thing up. It's been having issues um, since winter simply because we, our heat went out in our house and it was in, it, it got down to like 35 in the house and Diffenbachia do not like being in the cold. So it got a little cold burnt. So I had to cut it back. So it was a little stressed from that. And then I had it in a direct like east window but I think it was getting too much sunlight, so I moved it. So I think it was just a little too stressed for too long. So I think that's kind of what caused it to have those issues. So hopefully I will be able to treat it and it will be fine. I'm not too worried about it. Um, the other Calathea will be easier. The other one I think that I have is called White Star potentially. I don't think it's called White Star. I think it's similar to it. It has very thin white stripes, not like thick white stripes that you usually see the white star as maybe it's just a younger version of it I don't know but the other one that's what the other Calathea is which I'm not really too worried about that it's not as much thick foliage and it is a smaller plant it's only like a four inch plant so should be good there other than that just trucking along doing good potentially thinking about more merchandise I know I've been talking to my fiance about it and just like the lack of space and resources and Honestly, money right now um, for housing merchandise is kind of holding me back from really getting a deep dive into it as much as I would love to still be doing it. And I really, really, really wanted it honestly by June, July, but I don't know if I have the upfront cost right now to be doing that out of pocket since we're saving for our wedding and saving for a house and everything. Um, and because of my lovely Patreon members, I do have some money, which is great for Houseplant Homebody, but I also have to think about I'm renewing my website next year, just some business stuff like that. 
I do have some expense left over that I could start doing all of the t-shirts and stuff, but I don't want to throw all the money at it right now. So I might wait a little bit longer. I might, I really want to get stickers made for sure. I have a friend who's a graphic designer that I'm working with and I created a couple things. I drew them um, and then my fiance put them in Illustrator. So kind of hoping to use some of those, but we'll see. I'll keep you guys posted. Obviously, I always share stuff on my Instagram and Facebook stories. So if you want to see the day-to-day and what's happening, progressing, if I've got questions, you guys should be following me there for sure. Other than that, I hope you guys have a great week and I will see you next time. Bye-bye.